Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to borrow one, you can raise your hand real high and uh, the guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 6 verses 9 through 12 this morning. I entitled the message, Better Things. It's simply just taken from the text in verse 9 of Better Things. Also, if you're visiting, welcome. We're so blessed that you're here. I think most of the rest of you know today is the first Sunday of the month, and so we will have a time of communion as part of our closing of our service today. So I just want to let you know that. Okay, Hebrews 6, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, at this time. I'll read these verses aloud. We have been talking about how the author has not identified himself. We don't know who the human author is, but we know the Holy Spirit inspired this person to write these words. Thus, we know it's the Word of God that's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and we trust that God will speak to us what He desires to say, and His Spirit will reveal these things. The writer pens verse 9, But beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you've ministered to the saints and you are and do minister. They have been and they continue to do so. And he says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. What a great phrase. And what else? Well, that you don't become sluggish or lazy or lackadaisical, but rather imitate, follow the example of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And we're going to pause there and let's pray. Lord, we we thank you for this morning and even as America celebrates uh, its Independence Day. Lord, we're reminded really of the spiritual independence and freedom that you bought for us by sending Jesus to live and to die for us, Lord. And as we sang earlier, we thank you because truly for those who have the Son have freedom. And for those the Son has made free, we are free indeed. And Lord, as Paul would exhort the Galatians that this freedom that you've given us is a freedom from sin, not to sin, but a freedom from the penalty of sin, the power of sin. And in that we get then to live for you and to serve you by serving others. And so Lord, help us to do that this day. Father, we commit our time of study to you. We trust that by your Spirit, you have something you want to say, reveal, to work in us and to work out of us. And so, God, do what you desire to do. Give us ears to hear and a heart that's yielded to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right, would you take a moment, say hello. You can just air high five, elbow bump, wave greet each other in the Lord, and then you can have a seat. Well, 
I don't know about you, but for me, when the holidays come around, uh, I, I am one. I confess that I, I can be a sucker for the bargain deals that uh, often come with holidays, you know, shopping. Um, my wife had to block our internet when Prime Day on Amazon was taking place, you know. Uh, I, I am one who's actually a sucker, especially when they have those bonus deals or, you know, buy one, get one free, or sometimes they might have a product and it'll say 20% more. I might not even like the product. I'm like, just look, you know, we're going to get this, you know, because it just, it, there's more. Uh, I, I tend to be that. I gravitate towards those things. Even I remember in the Japanese convenience stores, they would sell certain teas and they'd have little uh, trinkets that would be attached to them. And I didn't even like the tea. I just buy it because look what the free thing I got, you know. And so uh, I, I tend to gravitate that way. Um, when we come to the scriptures in this particular section, these verses before us, the author is talking about better things that he says accompany our salvation. Now, of course, salvation is not anything that we purchase. It's not something we buy uh, it's not something we earn, we deserve. It's not something for you military folks. You don't rate it. Uh, it, it is a, it's not acquired by anything that we do. The Bible is very clear in Ephesians chapter 2 that it's by God's grace and God's grace alone that we have been saved through faith. It, it's not of ourselves, uh, we're told, but it is a gift that God gives. It's not from our works. It's not from the things that we do of course, so no one can boast because it's purely by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, as the scriptures tell us alone, to the glory of God alone. When he writes to the Romans, Paul says basically the same thing. He gives us the bad news first. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. However, but the free gift of God is his grace the redemption that we have is found in Jesus Christ, and it's freely given. And so when we talk about these things, understand while we might have a gift with purchase, in this particular case, uh, there is a gift with what God has purchased. These better things that accompany our salvation, purchased, of course, by the blood of Jesus Christ, offered to you and me freely. Now that gift in itself is an amazing gift. The fact that we can be forgiven and our shame and our guilt completely erased. That God would deliver us from darkness and out of our sinful and wayward ways and bring us into his family, put us in the kingdom of light. That in itself is an amazing gift. And yet we discover that scripture reveals that even beyond that grace upon grace, that the Lord gives us even more than we deserve. And we discovered this morning there are these if you will, bonus gifts that come with salvation. They're better things that the writer talks about that accompany our salvation, our relationship in Christ. And just as Christ is better than anything that you and I could ever pursue and hope for, understand there are better things that God gives us that are better than anything we could ever pursue outside of a relationship of Christ. So these four verses We'll unpack them, and let's consider what better things the writer has to say. Now, in verse 9, we come into this transition. He says, But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. 
Now, this section that we come into is a huge contrast from what was previously written and what we had studied prior from verses 4 through 8. If you are with us last week, uh, thank you for coming back. You know it was a difficult passage. If you're familiar with it, you know it's a difficult passage. And yet, regardless of some of the various ways in which it can be interpreted, uh, I think all views would agree it is probably one of the most forceful warnings in all of the New Testament letters of heeding the promise of the Lord and the good things that God has given. We noted as we were studying that that there is a pronoun change. From the beginning of the letter all the way through six chapters right up to verse 4, the writer uses pronouns as you and we and us. That's been the language. He's including himself, that we want to move on uh, and grow into maturity, and you and these things. And then all of a sudden when he gets to verse 4 and 8, the pronoun changes. He talks about and those and they and themselves, as though he's referring to a completely different group. But then now in verse 9, he comes back to using the same pronouns. He says, but we, um, oh, I lost my place, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. And so he comes back to these same pronouns. And I had made the, the argument or the position to say that he's talking about different groups. Though the writer believed that the call of caution that he addressed in verses 4 and 8 were necessary, for everyone who would read this letter, it's evident that he does not see all of them in that same dangerous spiritual state. That there are different groups, and evidenced then by verse 9, because he has a contrast. But concerning you, there are better things that we are confident of. And he calls them, notice with me, he calls them beloved or beloved. By the way, it's the only time that this word is used in this letter. The original Greek is really just a compound word. The, the, the Greek word. One of the Greek words for love is agape, meaning God's unconditional love. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard that word before. And so this is a derivative of that, to be beloved. It's agapetos. It just simply means that you are the recipient, uh, you're the conduit of God's unconditional love. And let me just pause for a moment. It is a wonderful and powerful reminder of how God sees you and how the Lord thinks of you. And please remember context. The Hebrew believers weren't perfect. They had some problems. There is a tendency for them to want to drift back to the old life. Obviously, he would even say to them, listen, you, you should be more mature in your walk and in a different place in your walk than you are uh, he refers to them as drinking milk, but they, you know, he wants them to be able to partake of meat. And so there are some maturity issues there. And so while there had these problems and while there there's these issues, it does not change the fact that God loved them unconditionally. And gang, that is the same for you and for me. Right? We are works in progress. We are all trophies of God's grace. None of us have, uh, are, are perfect yet. We're still on that path. God's still working. And guess what? We still blow it. We still stumble. We still make mistakes. And yet the Lord still loves you. And nothing will change that. That you are God's beloved. 
That doesn't mean that God doesn't love the unbeliever as well. Of course, we know Scripture teaches that God, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the people of the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. The Bible says that whomsoever, whomsoever believes upon Christ will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the love of God in this world. But when we come to faith, when we come to understand the love of the Lord, what happens then for us? What is one of the better things that accompany our salvation? Well, I want to submit to you, it's assurance. It's the knowledge to know that we are loved by God and to be overwhelmed by that, to be secure in that. So I, I think there's a stark contrast because there can be a tendency to read those verses from 4 to 8 and think about, oh no, what if I, what if I blow it? Am I going to fall away? What if I, 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 may, I make a mistake or I, I've wandered off? Is, does that mean that I can never come back to the Lord? And I think the writer wants to make sure for them to understand, listen, that's, that's not for the believer. God is a God of second chances and third chances and 30th chances. He's so gracious the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. And it's John who writes in 1 John 3, 1, he says, behold, basically the paraphrase is trip out on the love of God. Check it out. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you and me that we as, you know, crazy and dysfunctional people that we are, that we should be called the children of God. That's how amazing the love of God is. And so right off the bat, the better thing for us is we, we can be assured to know that as we belong to the Lord, it secures your standing before God as His kids. And the Bible goes on to describe of how we through the love of God, been adopted as his kids into his family. He makes us then brothers and sisters. And so one of the blessings is not only do we have this relationship with God, but now we have a relationship with each other. And we share this identity. We are the beloved of the Lord. It's a great identity to share. We should make bowling shirts, like a club. And what a great reminder for us, especially in this day and age in which we live, when the, when the world around us, and there's a lot of different, we talked about this some weeks ago, ideologies and views, and really just, I think, uh, an evil thing where, you know, just division and creating and exploiting division upon race and ethnicity and, and social constructs. And yet for us as a church, we get to, as the children of God, be united together under the banner of His love. And despite our differences, the language we speak and the passport we hold and, and, and everything else that would be outward, right? We, we get to realize, oh, we are the mosaic of God's creation. We're a beautiful tapestry. The Lord brings us together. Yes, we're imperfect. Yes, we have our faults. Yes, uh, we're works in progress, but we are the beloved of the Lord. These things that accompany our salvation, the security and assurance of who we are. The writer says, but beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. So contrast from the previous group. 
Whatever that scary scenario was, it was real. But it applied to a different group. And he fully believes that they are not in such danger. And he uses this term, better things. And he'll describe what are the better things. But the writer of Hebrews loves that word, better. In all of the New Testament, it's used 19 times. And guess what? 12 times of the 19, it's used in this letter uh, uh, to the Hebrews. If you talk with Alex Sartor for any length of time, the two favorite words that he uses is super and yummy. (laughs) And often he'll put them together, super yummy. The writer of Hebrews loves to use the word better. And, and, And rightly so. The repetition of that word, as we'll come to it, reinforces the fact. Remember, the writer is talking about how Jesus is better than fill in the blank. He's better than anything in this life. And guess what? Along with the Lord, all the things that God gives us, it's better than anything that we could ever hope for and seek after. I'll give you some great examples or some examples that are great. In Christ, we have a better hope, chapter 7, verse 9. We have a better promise, a better covenant. The new covenant of God's grace is way better than the old covenant of the sacrificial system, chapter 7, verse 22. Why? Because Jesus himself is a better sacrifice. Chapter 9, verse 22. That Jesus then gives us a better possession. In chapter 10, verse 34. God's bringing us to a better country, we're told. In chapter 11, verse 16. He says we're going to have a better resurrection. Chapter 11, verse 35. And that the sacrifice of Christ, and he uses this interesting phrase, that it's a better blood In chapter 12, verse 24, understand that everything then in Christ Jesus is better. And everything in Christ is better. What are the better things than he's writing of? Well, he says they're things that accompany salvation. That term accompany in Greek, it means to hold or to possess. You can think of it in the idea that that your salvation in the Lord, it comes with these things. It, It encompasses these things. It holds these things. Now, let me just state the obvious. The the writer is confident that they are partakers of better things of salvation because they are first and foremost partakers of salvation. He's confident they're partakers of the better things because they are partakers of the first thing. And that even before talking about these better things, he wanted to make sure that whoever was in earshot of his letter that was being written, that they'd understand salvation is not something to play with. To understand that it's, it's spiritually dangerous to just be intellectually stimulated, to, to have an, a, a, an appreciation of God's word and who the who Christ is in the gospel, and yet not move into coming into faith. That it's spiritually dangerous for someone to to come and be emotionally moved or to to, to enjoy being with the body of Christ and think, oh, these are really nice people and I really like being here and yet not have their own personal salvation or relationship with the Lord. The writer is saying that's a dangerous place to be. To have come so far and you do turn away from that. Remember, he says it's it's impossible then to come back. 
And so I submit to you that he wanted to make sure as he talks about the better things of salvation, that uh, he, through those who are just entertaining the idea of salvation, you need to move beyond that. And of course he says that. I want to encourage you, but I had some tough things to say. There are some things that, though we speak in this manner, what was the manner? Well, it was a difficult manner. It was a harsher manner. And gang, even in that, sometimes we, we have to hear hard things. Now, if you're like me, I don't like hearing hard things. <laughs> I don't like people confronting me. I don't like people getting in my face. I don't like when someone points out my faults. And yet, there's also a part of me that realizes that's, that's healthy, though. That's good. That's, especially in a spiritual, you know, it's vital for our spiritual growth. For us to be confronted. The word of God is profitable for us confrontation, rebuke, and correction. I, I likened it to, you know, if, if I was gravely ill, like, for example, if I had cancer, and, and, I, and I went to the doctors and I asked, you know, doctor, can you do these scans and exams on me? I'm not feeling well. And and for the, the hospital and the doctor, the medical people to do these scans, and they find out, yes, indeed, I have cancer, but if they don't tell me, if they withhold that information from me, I wouldn't say that's a good doctor. I wouldn't say that's a good hospital. Well, maybe they might have good intention, they're trying to protect me, but it wouldn't be helpful to me, it wouldn't be loving to me by withholding truth from me. Would it be hard to hear? I'm sure it would be. Would it be hard to process? Would it you know, take me back a little bit? Would it be a little bit of a, of a shock? I imagine it would be. You know, I, I, I remember you know, sitting with my mom before she passed away when she was diagnosed with cancer and going through those tests and getting the news. And you know, it was hard. It was hard to hear. But we were grateful at least to know, okay, what's been causing the pain? What, what's been the situation? And, and give us some kind of pathway to, to, you know, at least for my mom to prolong and to try to fight this. I imagine for the doctors who care, it'd be hard to say. And yet there are times in our life where we have to hear the hard things and the difficult things. To, it makes us aware of the reality of our situation. Or we may not like it. Maybe we may not even fully agree, but yet still needed for us to grow. Now, that, that in itself is a sign of maturity, the, the ability to receive hard things and harsher criticism and input. And yes, the manner... He says, though we speak in this manner, what was the manner? Well, the manner was firm. The manner was, was challenging. And so there are times where it might be appear harsh, but understand the motive is to help. And yet, we're living in this world today that where people seem to be just so easily offended by truth. They claim I'm injured by it. You're harming me by telling me the truth. Gang, can I say this in love? We, we can't fall into that ploy. Listen, truth, truth can be offensive. And truth can hurt sometimes. 
But I would add that God's truth is always purposed to be helpful. God's truth is always purposed to show us the reality of where we're at, but to set us free from that. That we shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He who has the Son has life. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed, even as we sang earlier, John chapter 8. And so let me just say this on that. Let's not run from those difficult discussions and hide from the light of God's truth. It's good for our growth. It needed to be said. And he goes on to say and to encourage them that God is not unjust, verse 10, to forget your work and labor of love which you've shown towards his name and that you've ministered to the saints and you are currently doing that. You're, you're ministering And the writer says, we're very confident concerning you about these things. But notice with me where the confidence is grounded. Where does the confidence of the author lie? His confidence is not based upon the listener's commitment. It's not grounded upon their effort, but rather it's grounded on the character of God. He's confident because he's confident in the Lord. He's confident in what God was doing, the work that God was doing in and through them, not their commitment. Because the Bible says that, that even when we're faithless, God is still faithful. And it's a good reminder for us. Where does our confidence lie? Well, I'm grateful that it's not dependent upon Rick Barnett to make Rick Barnett holy. But my confidence is in, is in God. The Lord is so good. God is so faithful. And specifically here, that God, He's not unjust. The character of the Lord. And specifically, what is He? He's not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love. That's a great verse. God does not forget I, I forget often. <laughs> God does not forget. And obviously if God doesn't forget, it means that God takes notice. That God sees all. He takes note of all. And nothing escapes Him. Now, that, that's either a statement that can encourage you or frighten you, that God sees everything that you do. God takes note of everything that you do. But hopefully it's an encouragement because I do think there are times in our life where we can be discouraged because we feel like, man, we're serving, we're helping, we're doing these things, and no one's taking notice, and no one says thank you. I'm not getting the credit that I think I deserve of the investment that I've made and the work that I've done, the effort that I've put forth, or how easily people can forget the things that you've done for them, the sacrifices that you've made, the money that you've spent, and the time that you've given and, and, you know, all of a sudden you're like, man, these people forgot. That's why for me, I write it all down. I take pictures. I've told all my kids, when you are done with school and you get a job, I'm handing you a bill. I've itemized it all since your birth. The diapers, the formula, the McDonald's Happy Meals, all of it. You pay me back, right? Oh, be encouraged. God sees everything you do. God does not forget. 
God will reward you. All the things that you've done and all the things that you'll continue to do. Now remember the context too. While I certainly think it applies to the things that you've done at home, the laundry and dishes and staying up late and all the changing of the diapers over the years and and all of these other things, all the things that we can do at home and paying the bills and all the many, many thankless tasks that you've done or, or things at your workplace, the extra time that you gave and when you worked on a project and somebody else took credit or you didn't get the promotion that, that you rightly deserved or you thought that you deserved, listen, the Lord sees all of that. It includes those things. But understand in terms of context, he, context, he's specifically talking about those things connected with our salvation. And by the way, we are reminded that our work is the outflow of our salvation. We, we don't work for our salvation. It's a gift. Salvation's a gift. We establish that, but we work from our salvation. It's the fruit of our faith. James, the book of James would even argue that uh, it's the evidence, the fact that you're saved is the things that you do, the, the work that you work. And it's part of our salvation. It accompanies our salvation. After Paul tells the Ephesians, it's by grace in which you've been saved. It's a gift of God. He goes on to say that you are God's workmanship, this beautiful artistry that God's working in you, and you're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared Him that you and I should then, well, walk in them and work them out. And so, yes, they they, they go hand in hand, but understand that our work is the outflow of our salvation or the overflow of it, I should say. And that's why I appreciate the idea, a labor of love, that descriptor. Because it describes not only what we do, but also the motive. It's the mode and the motive, the means and the motive. Because what we do, we do from love. In fact, the Bible says even the fact that we love God is because He first loved us. We're overwhelmed by the grace and the goodness and the love of God in our life. And it compels us then, right? It's the kindness of the Lord that brings us to repentance. And I pray that you've been overwhelmed by the love of God in your life. In the natural, we understand this. We do what we do so often because we love to do it. Or we do what we do, even though it might be a sacrifice, because we love the people in whom we're doing it for. And yes, it can be hard work. It can be draining. It can be a sacrifice. It consumes your time and your money and energy. But we do it because we love the person and we want to show our love for them and so, or, or we love how it might impact them or bless them. And we understand that in the natural. I've shared this story before, this illustration. You know, when I was younger, as a younger man, I, my parents gave me a chore chart. And on the refrigerator it had, you know, Ricky, and it said, uh, make your bed, clean your toys, take out the trash, uh, you know, every other Saturday I had to mow the lawn. And I had to do those things before I went outside to play. I had to do those things before I watched cartoons. But when I got older, as I shared earlier, when my mom was fighting cancer, especially in those 
days before she passed away, I'd go and visit her, and she lived in a small apartment, and there would be times where, you know, she just didn't have a lot of energy, and so there would be, the dishes would be dirty, and some of the pans would be out, and so I'd go, and I'd, and I'd go help, and I'd wash the dishes, and I'd clean her house a little. It's not because she had on her fridge, Ricky's going to do this, or she's going to beat me with her chancla, you know, her zodi, her flip-flop. It's because I loved her. And I just wanted to bless her. Right, we understand that in the natural. Was it work? Sure, a little bit. Was it hard? Eh, not her little apartment. Cost me money? There are some things that did. For a season, um, Christy and I would support her and take her out and go shopping. Patience? Oh, absolutely. I love my mom, but man, she could push my buttons quicker than anybody. <laughs> I share this fun story. We were helping my mom financially for a season, and it was, you know, it, we, were, we were honored to be able to do so. But there'd be times where I'd take her grocery shopping, and then <laughs> we'd be shopping, and she, you know, she'd buy these a little more expensive things. I'm like, oh, okay, I wouldn't buy it, but that's my mom, you know, praise the Lord. And then we'd get home, and she's like, oh, I bought this for you. I'm like, a 700 yen peach? I wouldn't even buy that for myself. She's like, no, but I bought it for you. And in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, but that was my money, you know, and so... <laughs> I love my mom. <laughs> Crazy. No, we do these things. We understand. Again, in the natural, we do this. But here we realize, oh, it's a labor of love. Because God loves us and we love the Lord, then everything that we do flows out of that. Not only is it the better thing, not only is it a better motive, I would submit to you, it is the highest motive. There is no greater motive. And when God, the love of God is our motive, listen, we realize then the glory of God is our purpose. And those two things together, they are not only the better thing, they're the best thing. The highest purpose that you and I could possess and pursue is to do all things to the glory of God because you love Him. And then you can put anything before you. Keep that as your motive. Keep that as your mode. Because you've discovered, as I have, if, if you make anything else your purpose, right, then you can absolutely expect disappointment, discouragement, to be disgruntled. But all of these things fit together. The fact then we're saved, we've been called by God, not because of anything that you and I have done, but you're beloved of the Lord. Be, stand fast in that. Be secure in that. And when you are, you realize then, when Christ then is all that you need, you and I will waste our time then wanting from others what, what God has already provided. Affirmation, confirmation, some type of assurance. It's in Christ Jesus you find your greatest why and your greatest how because of who you are as the Lord sees you. And that's true in every arena of life, but, but again, notice the context, the primary mode in which this works out, in which the labor of love is demonstrated. He says that you've, you've shown towards the name of the Lord, you're, you're serving God, but who are you serving? Well, you've ministered to the saints and continue to do so. It was ministry to the body of Christ. Now again, just as God loves the world 
God loves you and God loves the world. And just as we're called to ministers of the body of Christ, we are called to minister outside of the body. Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before everybody when they see your good deeds or glorify your Father who's in heaven. We're to love our neighbors and pray and love our enemies. As followers of Christ, we're to do good in this world to the glory of God. And it's easy to see. You look around. I mean, Christian hospitals and organizations and relief programs and orphanages and, and prison ministries and homeless ministries and, I mean, and all of these type of, uh, of you know, social, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Endeavors in the name of the Lord. Those are good things. And they're important. Those two are an outflow of faith. But here the, the context, the, the, the focus is brought primarily to ministry to one another, to the saints and into the, into the body of Christ. These are the, these tangible expressions of God's love. The Bible says don't just love the Lord in, in word, but love in deed. And don't love others just in word, but love others in deed. I want to take a moment just to highlight something real quick too. I want to highlight the fact that it's not necessarily the bigger or the extravagant endeavors that demonstrate our faith in Christ. You know, we often applaud, and rightly so, applaud the, the bigger steps of faith and the extraordinary things that followers of Christ do. And again, it has a place. You know, that the fact that God's raised up Alex and Jess, and here at the end of summer we're praying, we're going to launch them out and, as the body to support you know, the work of planting a church there in Kadena. That's exciting. And so we want to celebrate that. And we want to celebrate together 20 years of the Lord's faithfulness to the work here at Calvary Okinawa. But I want to suggest to you that it's, it's not reserved for just those things, the, the better things that accompany our salvation, the, the work and the labor of love. I want to suggest to you it's the everyday things. It's the simple, seemingly insignificant things that every single one of us can do and get to do, and, and you do do. Don't, don't discredit yourself. The kindness and the charity that displays the genuineness of our faith. It's your faithful prayers. It's a sacrifice that you make of your family for 90 minutes so that you can serve in the nursery and hold a baby or help out with the children's ministry so that another mom or dad or uh, uh, you know, another parent can, can sit and be able to hear and not worry about their little ones and Cheerios left on the floor and you, you bless them. It's taking one of those pink cards off the board and buying a box of plastic straws or whatever else is needed for VBS. I, I mean, it's these little things. It's, it's cooking for a bunch of Marines. It's taking time to stop and when you ask someone how they're doing and they kind of give you just the stereotypical, oh, fine, but you know, no, there's something's going on, and you probe a little bit more. You know, it's these everyday little things that God sees, and God cares, and, and God will remember the constant, the regular, 
service and kindness that you do. Jesus says that even if you gave a cup of cold water to the least of these, you've done unto me. And he goes on to say, and surely you will be rewarded. Matthew 10, verse 42. What is the nature of our faith then in Christ? What accompanies our salvation? Well, we get to be servants who love the Lord and we serve others because we love the Lord. We get to love the Lord and serve the Lord. And it's these practical little things that we reveal then that we belong to the Lord. Forgive me, I don't ever mean to embarrass anybody, but share just this testimony. This past Wednesday, uh, Deborah came, and you know that her and Michael and their family are new. And on Wednesday nights, as I mentioned, we have a time of dinner and hanging out. And and so her and her son Mikey came, uh, and they came, and they didn't come to eat dinner. I was like, hey, we have some food. They're like, no. She's like, no, I just brought dessert. It was right at the end of almost the end of our time. I'm like, you didn't want to eat, but you just brought dessert. She's like, yeah, I just, I'd love to. And, and so I opened the box, and, and they're macaroons. And I say that right? They're macaroons? They're not, they weren't like out-of-the-box brownies. They, they're like homemade macaroons. I'm like, this is your confirmation that you're called to Calvary. That's uh... <laughs> I thought, how kind. Like, she didn't even stay for dinner, but just came and brought dessert and dropped them off and now, they were gone in a heartbeat. I don't want to tell you who, who she is because I want to keep the family off to myself. Anyway. All that to say, listen, they're, they're, sometimes it's just these small things. You think, oh, they're seeming insignificant. And yet you minister to the saints. In verse 11, he goes on and says, listen, we desire that each of you would show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. And, and, and here the writer becomes personal, and I would say pastoral. There's these expectations that he has for the church collectively as he's writing the whole group, but notice also individually. And even in that, it's a great reminder for us. Yes, we are a church collectively, but each of us, God has given us a place, a lane that we run, a place we get to serve, and unique with who you are and the things that you can do. And the totality of Scripture teaches us that each of us then has a place in the body of Christ. And when each of us then does our part, we help each other grow. We edify the whole body together so that we can grow. And hopefully then it prevents us from saying, ah, well, that's the pastor's job or that's the leadership's job. Now listen, this, this this is our church. I have a little pet peeve, and if I can share this, and hopefully bear with me, understand. My little pet peeve that sometimes people will say, like, oh, well, you know, I appreciate your church, or uh, I like, you know, we do this at your church, and I'm like, ah, no, this is our church. I mean, ultimately, it's God's church, first and foremost. Hopefully, we got that straight. Jesus really is the senior pastor of this church. It's God's church, but this isn't my church. This is our church. And forever how long that God's called you here, and I realize for us in our church, uh, that season varies from, from a short time to a long time. But however long that you're here, if you believe that God's called you here, then this is our church. This is your church. 
And God then brought you here, and then you and I, we have a place that each of us then would show the same diligence. That doesn't mean we have the same responsibility. It doesn't mean that we carry the same load or capacity. We have different weight. We have different functions. But it does mean that we're, we are faithful to do what God's given us to do. So let me just challenge you now. Are you, are you being faithful to do what God's given you to do? Now later on, the writer is going to tell us in chapter 10, let's consider one another that how we might spur each other on to good works and love. To help encourage each other in this race of faith that we're in. Now in order for us to do that, it means we need to be in community together. What does he say then? That together, each of us, the same diligence, we have this goal, the full assurance of hope. We, we hold on to the hope of heaven. There, there is a reward when we get to the end. But we're reminded that the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And so he says, and don't become sluggish. Don't slow down then. Don't get lazy. And that we together then showing the same diligence, each of us has a lane. I just rephrase it this way. All of that thought just to say, listen, God's brought you here, so what do we do with that? Well, our response then is to commit then to community and commit then to church in a place that supports and spurs us then in these things. And the reality is that serving and, and sharing, doing life, it can be draining. There is a, a cost to showing love to somebody. And sometimes it, it, it's a risk that we take. But understand that as we grow deeper in our love for God, it broadens and strengthens then our love for each other. It, it then empowers us then in our service for each other. It becomes this unending, sustainable source for endurance. See, the tendency of our flesh is to become sluggish. Paul tells the Galatian church, let us not grow weary while doing good. Let's not lose heart in doing good. Because in due time, in God's proper time, we will reap if we do not lose heart. So then, while we have this opportunity now, today, let's do good, and he says, to all people, but especially to the household of faith, Galatians 6, 9, and 10. And so the reality is that, yes, we can lose heart, but I want to submit to you that often that happens is when we, we lose heart is when we lose sight. We lose heart when we lose sight of why we do what we do, and to whom we're really serving. Because if you deviate from saying, I, I, I'm doing this because I love the Lord, and you do it because you want an accolade or an applause or recognition for somebody else, guess what? When, when that doesn't come, you can become very dis, disheartened. And left in that mode, it often turns in then to bitterness and cynicism and, and complaining. because we're doing it for the wrong reasons. And then what does he add in the end, verse 12? 
the, I'm sorry, the second half of verse 12, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherits the promises. He reminds us or lets us know, listen, there, there are others we can look at as examples. And it's a big help for us to have mentors in our life and others that we can look up to to follow their lead and to learn from godly examples of faith in our life. That word imitate in the Greek, it's the word mimetis. It's where we get the word mimic from or even mime from. Alex one time told me, he said, Pastor, you make a great mime. I was speechless. It was just... All right, just make sure you're awake. Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow the Lord. And let me say, I think it's important for us to have people in our life that we can look up to and follow. And we have to remember, though, people are fallible. And they can at times disappoint us. And so we have to make sure we don't put them on a, on a pedestal higher than they're supposed to be. But at the same time, it's good to have godly examples in our life. Paul's in our life, if you will. People can come alongside and to speak truth and encourage and disciple and, and help us. And guess what? Like it or not, if you have kids at home, your family, they're looking to you, your friends, your coworkers, uh, as to what it means to be an example of a Christ follower. And in this day and age, especially with the return of Marvel Comics and DC and the movies and all that's coming out, you know, a lot of kids are looking to superheroes as models. You know, we did. There's a place for that as little kids. But I, I want to suggest to you that better models for us are, are Bible heroes. To get our, our family and our kids, especially if we have little ones still, to get them in the scriptures. Because they are real, everyday people who blew it, and yet the grace of God would, you know, worked in their life. And so make the Daniels and the David and the, and the Ruths and the Deborahs of the Scripture are kids' heroes. In fact, that's really the context of what the writer's talking about. Those that we can follow, because he's going to go on to talk about Abraham as an example of faith and diligence and patience, waiting for the promise of God. He's going to expand the list when we get to chapter 11. There's going to be a whole list of people of who are examples of faith. And we get into their story and realize, ooh, they weren't perfect. But yet God was faithful, and as they responded. And of course, ultimately, our greatest example is Jesus Christ himself. The greatest example of patience and perseverance and diligence and being faithful to the call of the Father to the very end. These are the better things that accompany our salvation. A confidence to know that regardless of where you're at and what you've done, God loves you. He sees what you've done and he never forgets all that you've given. That you and I are given the highest purpose, the greatest why and how of when we do what we do to the glory of God and because we love the Lord. And in that, God gives you responsibility that each of us would show the same diligence. Be faithful to what God's placed in your trust. And we get to do that in community. To do that together as a church. 
in a group that spurs and stirs your faith. Can I, I, can I, I want to say this in love to you. If your experience with us is that you come and you sit and you get fed and you get up and you leave and, and, and it's nothing more than that, I'm going to say two things in love. You're cheating yourself. You're cheating yourself out of, I, I believe, a, a wonderful dynamic of your time here and what God wants to do with just people in your life. And I'll, and I'll say this, you're cheating us. You're cheating the rest of us of getting to know you and the gifts and the talents and who you are and all that God has been doing in your life. And, and we then, we are, are absent that blessing. So we get to follow, and lead, follow the lead and learn from godly examples of the faith. Amen? All right. We're going to have a time of communion. I'll do this as quick as I can. Let's pray. We'll have the ushers come, the worship team come back up. And gang, they're going to serve you the, the elements. Because of COVID, we've been doing it this way. It's basically two cups. The bottom has the bread, the top has the juice. So just be a little careful when you're pulling it out as the guys serve you. They'll do their best to... Um, yeah, George, thanks. You know, to get the trade to you. But let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. The most important thing, Lord, just to, to know, be reminded, but to know with assurance that, that we are beloved of you. Sometimes, God, we don't feel that way. Sometimes we feel like we do things and we're certainly not deserving of it. But Lord, it's your grace. It's our confidence isn't in what we do or do not do. Our confidence is the character of God, of who you are, because you're faithful, Lord. So, Father, I pray as we have this time now of communion, as we even reflect back to think about the words that Paul would write to the Corinthian church, that in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, how he would take bread and he would take the cup those things already very symbolic for the Jews meaningful of, of a time of deliverance when their people would be slaved, uh, saved out of slavery from Egypt and Jesus how you then amplified that significance that you as our Passover lamb by your life your blood your body we've been saved from the bondage of sin. And death has passed over our life. We've been saved from that. And it's a time for us just to take a moment to remember to whom we belong, the sacrifice that you made, the great love that you have for us. Lord, it's easy in our daily life and the daily grind to just to get away from that, just the thought of that. And so, Lord, I pray you'd bring us back center. All that you have done, all that you continue to do, all that you want to do, Lord. So, Father, may your spirit search us now. May we worship you. 
May the lyrics be more than just words we read off the overhead, but Lord, to make it a part of our prayer. We love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray. Amen.